Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a Presbyterian USA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more information about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children, youth, and adults at ndpc.org. And you can follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come and join us in person. That's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. As we prepare to hear that word this morning, I want to say just a bit about what's happening. As Beth said earlier, we are beginning a nine-month sermon series this morning. (laughs) Usually I like to keep sermon series to like three weeks, because sometimes by the second week I realize it was a bad idea. (laughs) But this one is nine months long. Uh, and it's, I think I'm really excited about it, and I think you will be too. We are teaching the Bible this year, which uh, is always what we do, but we're doing it in a particular way. Uh, the subtitle of this uh, series is called God's Creative Story, but the subtitle is The Nine Big Ideas in the Bible. So over the nine months between now and May, each month we're going to be looking at one of the major themes of the Bible. These are themes like creation and covenant and salvation. So for four weeks, we'll look at each of these themes and go deep into the way that these themes stretch across the entire scripture. So, but today, we're beginning, in the beginning, we're beginning with the creation stories, plural, from the the holy scriptures. Now, I thought instead of jumping right into the Bible, I thought we should start with a different creation story. So we're going to watch for a couple minutes a wonderful story about the beginning of the universe. And it is a story told by our friends at National Geographic. Now, a lot of this stuff, I I watched this um, this week, and I have to admit, I must not have been paying attention in high school science class. Because this stuff goes deep into what happened. Going back to the very beginning of time, it tells 13, 14 billion years of our story in just about five minutes. So as you listen, I want you to think about these questions as you listen to this first creation story. What is the heart of the story that that National Geographic is going to tell us? What's the point? That's question number one. Question number two, how does the story make you feel? Or does it make you feel as you're listening to it? That's question two. And number three, is there anything missing? Let's listen to creation story number one. The universe is everything, from the tiniest particles, to the largest galaxies, to the very existence of space, time, and life. But how did it all begin? The origin of the universe is the origin of everything. Multiple scientific theories, plus creation myths from around the world, have tried to explain its mysterious genesis. However, the most widely accepted explanation is the Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory states that the universe began as a hot and infinitely dense point. Only a few millimeters wide, it was similar to a supercharged black hole. About 13.7 billion years ago, this tiny singularity violently exploded. And it is from this explosion, this bang, 
that all matter, energy, space, and time were created. What happened next were two major stages of the universe's evolution. Called the radiation and matter eras, they're defined by key events that helped shape the universe. First came the radiation era, named for the dominance of radiation right after the Big Bang. This era is made of smaller stages, called epochs, that occurred within the universe's first tens of thousands of years. The earliest is the Planck epoch. No matter existed in the universe at this time, only energy and the ancestor to the four forces of nature, the superforce. At the end of this stage, however, a key event occurred in which gravity split away from the superforce. Next came the Grand Unification Epoch, named for the three remaining unified forces of nature. This epoch ended when one of those forces, called strong or strong nuclear, broke away. Then, the inflationary epoch began, during which the universe rapidly expanded. Almost instantly, it grew from the size of an atom to the size of a grapefruit. The universe at this time was piping hot and it churned with electrons, quarks, and other particles. Then came the electroweak epoch, when the last two forces, electromagnetic and weak, finally split off. During the next stage, the quark epoch, all of the universe's ingredients were present. However, the universe was still too hot and dense for subatomic particles to form. Then, in the hadron epoch, the universe cooled down enough for quarks to bind together and form protons and neutrons. In the lepton and nuclear epochs, the radiation era's last two stages, the protons and neutrons underwent a significant change. They fused and created nuclei. And in doing so, they created the first chemical element in the universe, helium. The universe's new ability to form elements the building blocks of matter cued the matter era. Much as the name suggests, the matter era is defined by the presence and predominance of matter in the universe. It features three epochs that span billions of years, the vast majority of the universe's lifespan, and includes the present day. The first was the atomic epoch. In this stage, the universe's temperature cooled down enough for electrons to attach to nuclei for the first time. Called recombination, this process helped create the universe's second element, hydrogen. This hydrogen, along with helium atoms, dotted the universe with atomic clouds. Within the clouds, small pockets of gas may have had enough gravity to cause atoms to collect. These clusters of atoms, formed during the galactic epoch, became the seedlings of galaxies. Nestled inside those galaxies, stars began to form, and in doing so, they cued the latest and current stage of the universe's development, the stellar epoch. The formation of stars then caused a tremendous ripple effect and helped shape the universe as we know it. Heat within the stars caused the conversion of helium and hydrogen into almost all the remaining elements in the universe. In turn, those elements became the building blocks for planets, moons, life, everything we see today.
This ecosystem of everything was only possible because of the many stages in the universe's development. While countless questions about the origins of our universe remain, it's only a matter of time for some long-sought answers to emerge. It's a good story, right? <laughs> some of you tuned out after they started like neutrons. You were like, oh, whatever. Well, that's your story, isn't it? Well, let's hear a second story. This is from the first chapter of Genesis. In the beginning, God created everything. The heavens above and the earth below. Here's what happened. At first, the earth lacked shape and was totally empty, and a dark fog draped over the deep while God's spirit wind hovered over the surface of the empty waters, then there was the voice of God. Let there be light. Light flashed into being. God saw that the light was beautiful and good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day. The darkness night. Evening gave way to morning. That was day one. Let there be a vast expanse in the middle of the waters. Let the waters above part from the waters below. So God parted the waters and formed this expanse, separating the waters above from the waters below. It happened just as God said. And God called the expanse sky. Evening gave way to morning. That was day two. Let the waters below the heavens be collected into one place and congregate into one vast sea so that dry land may appear. It happened. Just as God said, God called the dry land earth and the waters congregated below were seas. And God saw that this new creation was beautiful and good. Earth. Sprout green vegetation, grow all varieties of seed-bearing plants, and all sorts of fruit-bearing trees. It happened just as God said. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants of all varieties, and fruit-bearing trees of all sorts. And God saw that this new creation was beautiful and good. Evening gave way to morning. This was day three. Lights, come out. Shine in the vast expanse of heaven's sky, dividing day from night, to mark the seasons, days, and years. Lights, warm the earth with your light. It happened just as God said. God fashioned the two great lights, the brighter to mark the day, the dimmer to mark the course of night, and the divine needled night with the stars. God set them in heaven's sky to cast warm light on the earth, to rule over day and night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that this new creation was beautiful and good. Evening gave way to morning. That was day four. Waters. Swarm with fish and sea creatures. Let birds soar high above the earth in the broad expanse of sky. 
So God created huge sea creatures, all the swarm of life in the waters, and every kind and species of flying birds, each able to reproduce its own kind. And God saw that this new creation was beautiful and good, and God spoke this blessing over them. Be fruitful and multiply. Let creatures fill the seas. Let birds reproduce and cover the earth. Evening gave way to morning. That was day five. Earth, generate life. Produce a vast variety of living creatures. Domesticated animals, small creeping creatures, and wild animals that roam the earth. It happened just as God said. God made earth creatures in a vast variety of species, wild animals, domesticated animals of all sizes, and small creeping creatures, each able to reproduce its own kind. God saw that this new creation was beautiful and good, and God paused. Now let us conceive a new creation, humanity, made in our image, fashioned according to our likeness, and let us grant them authority over all the earth, the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, the domesticated animals, and the small creeping creatures on the earth. So God did just that. God created humanity in God's image, created them male and female. Then God blessed them and gave them this directive, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth. I make you trustees of my estate, so care for my creation and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that roams across the earth. The crown of God's creation is a new creature, a creature that can sound the heartbeat of its creator. That creature, made male and female, reflects God's own relational richness. The human family is to join God in the ongoing work of creation, the earth below and, and the sky above with all their inhabitants are too beautiful and too good to be left alone. Need the tender care and close attention that only God's favored creature can give. Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant that grows on the earth and every fruit-bearing tree. They will be your food and nourishment. As for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and every small creeping creature, everything that breathes the breath of life, I have given them every green plant for food. And it happened, just as God said. And God surveyed everything that God had made savoring its beauty and appreciating its goodness. Evening gave way to morning. That was day six. So now you see how the Creator swept into being the spangled heavens, the earth, and all their hosts in six days. On the seventh day, with the canvas of the cosmos completed, God paused from God's labor and rested. Thus God blessed day seven and made it special. 
an open time for pause and restoration, a sacred zone of Sabbath-keeping, because God rested from all the work God had done in creation on that day. The Word of God for you, the people of God. What is the heart of the story? How does it make you feel when you hear the story? What would you say is missing? Creation stories, I think, are not about how we got here. Creation stories are mostly about why we are here. When we ask, and search into origins. We are curious about the how, but what we're really hungry for is the why. If we know something about our beginning, we think we might gain clues about what all of this is for. The National Geographic story that we watched together this morning is gorgeous, right? It is a beautiful and stunning story. How we began as a a singularity. I love that image. It was a singularity at the beginning. The presence of that incredible energy in that tight, tight ball. Then the separation of forces. The creation of subatomic and atomic particles. All of that within the very first second of creation. The creation of atoms and galaxies and stars and eventually matter. It's gorgeous. But it's also striking to me the precarity of human existence within that story. Do you know what I mean? I mean, if you do trace that story as science tells it to its end, in a relatively short while, we won't exist at all anymore. That humans exist at all in that story is nothing short of absurd. And in fact, if you look at the story, our existence is not at all the point. And that's fine. That's good. That is the way it should be. Science tells the stories it needs to tell. But we human beings have a bad habit of wanting everything to be about us. It's just in us, right? So I can't help but but feeling like the creation story of the universe that gets told by science gives us the how, but it's too stingy on the question of why. How did we get here? Why are we here? That's what humanity's ancient creation myths have always offered to us. These creation stories in the scripture are never really about the how, right? The reason we write them and the reason we still tell them today is that they give us an opportunity to ponder not just the how, but the why. The Bible's first creation story, at least the one that appears first, it wasn't written first, that's another story for another day. The Bible's first creation story says that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. 
Just like the scientific story that you heard this morning, it talks about the creation of matter and energy. It talks about the stuff of creation, light and dark and water and land and fish and birds and human beings. But Genesis 1, as you hear it told, is about so much more than matter. It's about so much more than the stuff of creation. It's about the sacred quality of time. It's about human responsibility. And it's about the order and balance in our existence. Consider for a second time. Time, though it may not feel like this to you always, is a gift from God. Time comes into being, the story says, with creation itself. And everything that happens, happens in its own time. The message to us from Genesis, one of the messages is to live, therefore, into time. To let the great cycles and the the overwhelming currents of the natural world run their course. The invitation from this story to you is to honor the seasons, both the seasons of the year and the seasons of your life. For there is a deep rhythm within time that is shaped by creation itself. You heard the repetition. It was evening and morning the first day. The second day. Genesis 1 tells us that time is not our enemy. There is, it suggests to us, enough time for everything under the heavens. Every seventh day, we are to celebrate that enoughness. Every seventh day, once every week, we are to stop. God ordains that the whole creation should use a portion of our time to rest and delight in the sufficiency of this created world. But one of the whys the creation story from Genesis gives you is that time is sacred. It's a gift. The story also tells you something about your responsibility as a human being. Genesis 1 says that you, yes, you, are the crown of creation. (laughs) Say that to yourself this morning. Say, I am the crown of creation. Say it with me. I am the crown of creation. How many of you believe that? Yeah. You are the capstone. If you know about architecture, you know that the capstone is the stone that sits at the top of the arch. And the capstone is the stone that holds everything together. The story says that you, as a human being, stand at the apex of the creation. You are not set apart from it. You aren't here to lord over the creation, and the creation is not here to serve you. But you are put here by God to bless and keep the creation, to honor the gift of time, and to keep order and balance. You have been put here, the story says, to use the gifts that you have been given for the well-being of the whole. We human beings have been given great responsibility. This is the second why of the creation story. 
third wise about God. This creation story, after all, is not just about us. It's not just about the stuff. It's not just about time. It's also about God. It's about what God did a long, 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 long time ago, but it's also about what God does today. The story says that God's proclivity is, proclivity, that's a big word, God's inclination, God's orientation, God's disposition, it's in God's DNA, it's in God's very being to wrest a kind of order out of chaos. Chaos is very real, the story says. In the beginning, the Hebrew words, I've said them before because I love to say them, it's tohu vabohu. Say that with me. Tohu vabohu. It means confusion and emptiness, waste. There is no light and no life at the beginning. But then God speaks. God speaks into that chaos, into that lightless, lifeless place, and makes out of it an ordered world. Each day of creation, God speaks, and new things come into being. And each thing has its place and its purpose. Each thing has a God-given value. Things, the stuff of this creation, don't exist simply by accident. They are created with intention. They are given a name, and they are called beautiful and good. Many of the other ancient Near Eastern creation stories tell of a god or gods who create order. But this story that we have is somewhat unique. Because here, as God is creating the world, God does it not out of rage or not in some conquest of a warring God, but God creates the world by an elegant flow of sweeping word and deed. Surely know that God's creative work is not a one-time event. God will consistently enter into the tohu vabohu of our lives, the confusion or emptiness or lightless, lifeless places, whether that is in the wake of a natural disaster like the one that we have borne witness to again this week, whether it is into the places of our deep grief after losing someone we love, whether it is the chaos that we make for each other when we fail to treat each other as family. Into chaos, God comes and with grace-filled words and deeds, again and again and again, God creates order from the chaos. And you, you good and beautiful people, you are created in the image of God. So perhaps God's proclivity, God's inclination, God's gift for creating order out of chaos, God's, God's inclination to stare into the face of chaos and, and with grace-filled words and deeds to fashion order, maybe, maybe that's your calling too. Maybe that is your why. In the beginning, God was there.
creating order out of chaos. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. Amen.